0: This is Shop Talk radio episode 99 with Emily Greener Welcome to Shop Talk Radio. I'm your host Nick Onkin and on this show we bring you inspiring guests to dive underneath the hood of the creative entrepreneur lifestyle to take your creativity, business and life to the next level) we can't do What is up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Shop Talk Radio. And for those of you who have been following Shop Talk Radio for a while now, you've seen an evolution. Same mission, but in two short years, we've brought on a strong set of talented creative entrepreneurs to help you navigate and stay inspired. Guests like Usher Raymond, Donna Karen, Stacey London, Lewis Howes, and so many more. Well, the time has come to take a number of our ventures to the next level, but together. You could say we're drinking our own Kool-Aid, and for us, that means the next step in building our empire. We've given it a name, Neon, as you may have heard me talk about before. It represents a vibrant vision for helping creative entrepreneurs live their lives in color, and it's a series of tools and experiences to empower and inspire you. And so we are relaunching Shop Talk Radio as Neon Radio, the podcast arm of the Neon brand. You'll be hearing and seeing more of the Neon ventures and projects soon, so stay tuned. And now for this week's guest, I am excited to bring to you the one and only Emily Greener. She's the co-founder of the charity I Am That Girl, and they are doing amazing things in this world And teaching young girls and boys emotional intelligence and how to interact in the world around them in a positive way. They have chapters all over the U.S. They're raising young leaders to teach the young ones in their groups, in their communities, these leadership skills and emotional intelligence skills. And it's a really amazing thing. I actually really want to get involved more with them. They've got amazing celebrities and influencers on board, including my girlfriend, Stacey London, and Emmanuel Schriecki, Amanda Seafried, so many more. We talk about Emily's story and what it's taken from her and how she got involved with Alexis Jones in creating I Am That Girl. We talk about Emily's journey and what she's learned through the whole process about leadership and how to lead other people how to create a brand of a charity that garners the attention of the kids, the young people. We learn about how vulnerability has played a huge role in her growth and her leadership and how that can work for you. We learn so much more. Emily is an amazing individual. She's doing big things. So without further ado, let's get started. What's up everyone welcome to another episode of shop talk radio today we have emily greener co-founder of i am that girl on the show today welcome to the show
1: thank you happy to be here
0: i am excited to dive into all things i am that girl and emily greener today and i know you have such a great heart and i'm excited to share that with the world here thank you nick yeah. So let's, let's jump in and hear a little bit about your story and then we'll get into what I Am That Girl is. So um, tell us a little bit about where you're from and how you came down to the old town of Los Angeles.
1: <laughs> the, the old town. I've never heard anyone describe it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in Florida and I was actually born in Boise, Idaho, which is not something I share with with many people, so you right. must why you must that? have just a friendly face if <laughs> you want to share that. Because I was there, I like left after two years, and I was two, so I have no connection to it, and it's just a little strange. It's a strange place, and so people are like really why, and they have to go into the whole story, and it's not that interesting <laughs> of a story. So I just I pass it up. Um, but I did. I grew up in South Florida, uh, Coral Springs, just outside of Fort Lauderdale. Mm. And I think when I was in fifth or sixth grade, I um, found this acting school that was like a TV film acting school, which is cool because when you're younger, you could usually only do theater Mm -hmm. if you're like going to like, you know, classes. And I just sort of fell in love with that element of acting right away. And so I went to this school for years and years and I was like, okay, that's it. I'm going to be an actor for sure. That is my thing. So I went to college and I studied acting and, um, and communications. And I was also a kid that was always super involved in leadership stuff and doing like service work and community service and give back stuff and starting programs at my high school. And it was always sort of, um, it was always sort of this dual passion that I didn't realize was there. I just kind of thought doing good was the thing you're supposed to do. I, I, just kind of, it It was fun for me and it was, it always felt really good. And so it just was a part of it. And um, when I look back, I think to this time when I was in, I don't know, I was maybe fifth grade, I was either in elementary or middle school, but young. And my dad was a social worker. And so for Christmas, we would go buy all these presents on the lists of these families that were in impoverished areas. And I remember going and, and we would deliver all these gifts and my dad would say, Oh, in our family, it's tradition that you open up, which was not true because I mean, we did celebrate the Jew, We were the Jews that celebrated Christmas, but that just wasn't true. He just wanted to like, we wanted to see people open gifts. yeah. So he's like, it's tradition. You do it one day before. And I would see these kids, my own age opening like toothpaste and toilet paper and, I was just like, that doesn't make any sense. That's not a toy. Why are they opening the thing that is supposed to just come, it's supposed to come with the bathroom? And it was my like first little baby brain understanding of the haves and have-nots and what's fair and not fair and Mm -hmm. and, and injustice. And it's only now when I look back that I think that might have been the spark to Mm. me giving back or me standing, being a voice for people that didn't have one or whatever Mm. it might be. And so anyway, acting is what brought me to L.A., Mm. That was the plan. That was the goal. That was a life dream. And there was nothing that was going to stop me or get in my way. And I yeah. moved out here really without knowing anyone. Um, found a couple people who were friends of friends and found a little nook. And that was what I was doing until a year later after I moved here. Uh, I went got invited to a random party in downtown LA and met a girl named Alexis Jones and had a conversation that changed my life. And yeah realized that acting was really just meant to get me to LA mm-hmm. for this other dream that the universe, that the universe had in store for me. And we had a conversation that night and she was really honest about who she was and her story. And like more honest that I thought a stranger would normally be. And I was just kind of like, wow, she's telling me a lot of stuff. Things she was like <laughs> embarrassed of and ashamed by. And she was doing it in this way of like owning it. You know, it wasn't this, um, it wasn't someone who was just like, I'm a piece of crap. And I'm just going to tell you that she was like owning her truths, regardless of what they were. And I was really moved by that. And it inspired me to share stuff with her, which I had never said out loud before. And these aren't like deep, dark secrets. These are like, I'm afraid to fail and you know, things that are very, very true and yet had never been spoken out loud. And so when you say something that you've never said before out loud, it, it's really powerful and it's 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 it's, can be life-changing it can like sort of open up a path to well what else is true that I haven't said before um and what else is true that I haven't even thought to think about looking into before and uh and she pretty much the story goes this thing called I am that girl that she was doing that she had started in college was about to launch in six weeks and she asked me to join her and I honestly, it was, it was a pretty quick switch. Like my heart switched that night and the rest was just details and acting became just less and less of a priority. And Mm. six weeks later we launched, I am that girl. And, and here we are eight years later. And I mean that whole story, that's a whole other story, but the way that it was launched and the way that we've grown and not really knowing what we were doing and spending the first three years on foot, rallying this community, just going and speaking to girls and rallying this community on foot and sending them online. And then girls coming up and being like, you can't just send us online. It's not fair. You've changed our lives and now you're leaving and we need something here in person. And we were like, okay, would you be down to host a conversation like this once a week? And then went back and, you know, our living rooms were the places where we had these big important meetings and developed this local chapter program, which is now I would say like the 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 bread and butter of I am that girl. It's the it's the most transformative program and impact we make is through these local chapters. And Mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, starting back then and still now, these girls are the ones that really. This is a buy them for them organization, and um, they run the show. And they just sort of we we listen to what they say and then try to create it for them.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. So, for those people that don't know what I am that girl is, can you give us the rundown? On what exactly it is and and the mission.
1: Yeah. So I Am That Girl is a, it's a movement, it's a support system. It's a community of girls who um, are coming together to raise the standards for how girls are treating themselves and treating each other and treating the world and ultimately how the world is treating them. It's a space where they're safe to be who they are instead of who they think they're supposed to be and to have really honest conversations about things that matter, whatever that might be. It could be really super serious. It could be whatever someone's passion might be. And it's, it's across the board. It's fashion and beauty and rape and eating disorders and you know, family and friends and school and work and relationships and sex and like everything. Um, there's just nothing, nothing off limits.
0: So is it, it, how does it look in terms of implementation?
1: Yeah. So I would say that I would say that what we are is a weekly meeting. And we've got about 230 now local chapters growing every day. And these are girls who come together in person once a week to have honest conversations and to create this space, sort of epitomizing the culture we're trying to create on a mass scale. So we train these girls how to be leaders and influencers amongst their peers and how to facilitate um, a conversation and create a safe space. And they then go find girls in their communities, usually high schools or colleges, And we give them a hundred different topics, curriculum topics, and they choose one and they, they have these conversations and a bunch of leadership training and, and they grow. And as this generation does, they really honestly take it and run with it. We're sort of passing them the baton and then they're like, I have a better idea. (laughs) We're going to go win awards on campuses and launch digital campaigns that are doing better than yours. And they just end up doing, you know, student speaker series and. Um getting like local news stations to come to their school and cover them. I mean, it's really they're really it's, it's,
0: it's cool. so cool, yeah young people are so awesome. cool, so you've created the cool kids club,
1: yeah <laughs> we um it is it is this sort of cool club that everybody's invited to and and that's the point. like can we make something that is so cool that everybody wants to be a part of it, even the people who are like I don't need to be cool, but like you kind of want to be cool still. <laughs> this is the one where that everyone's invited to. This is the one that like if someone doesn't deem themselves cool because of what it looks like in their school, like they can still be a part of this and when you get here it's sort of this great equalizer because the reality is regardless of where you come from, regardless of what your story is, regardless of how nerdy or techy or sporty or whatever your thing is, mm-hmm. whatever spice girl you are. <laughs> Um, you belong here because if you sit around a table with a bunch of people that are crazy different from you Mm -hmm. and that you might not find yourself socializing with outside of this circle while you're here and truth is spoken and you're speaking to like the fundamental human truths that make us all people on this planet. Yeah that stuff kind of goes away. It actually doesn't matter in that space and time. It just matters that we're all in this together and people feel like they belong. And by the way, belonging is like food, shelter, and water. I mean, it is a fundamental need and people will do anything to get it. And so mm-hmm. that's what happens when these, when all of these people come together in this space and what they do when they leave the space you know, I, we we obviously hope and have heard that the "I am that girl" way sort of comes with them, but who they hang out with socially is is great. Who cares? Like you hang out with like minded people who do that's totally fine. You could go back to your like quote unquote clicks, but but for us, if we're going to shift culture, which is the goal, like that is the vision. Yeah, we have to infiltrate pop culture and whatever is mainstream and sort of tap mm-hmm. into the vein of like what people deem cool and trending and except that our trend must never <laughs> become untrending. It just has to stay.
0: Yeah. So what kinds of things have you done to kind of create that cool? I know it's kind of like a, I don't want it to be like a, a stigma, but I think there is some sort of thing that you guys are doing or things that you guys are doing that have become, cult- uh, you're making it culturally relevant. Yeah. it's important because people are like coming in and, and, and loving this.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, First and foremost, the human beings that surround this and support this are deemed cool by the world. So the celebrities and the influencers who everyone else is like, yep, I love them. I'm obsessed with them. They are cool by by our culture standards um, are involved. In, and I think we attract the the celebrity because no one knows better what it feels like to feel like they have to be what someone else wants them to be instead of just being who they are. And so... The Sophia Bush and and Stacey London and Emmanuel Shrekey and Taylor Schilling and Kristen Croik and like all these Moni Coleman, all these amazing people who are a part of this and who not only feel like they want to be a part of it for themselves, but really, really, really are passionate and connected to creating this space for younger people and using mm-hmm. their platform for that. When that many people who are deemed cool, deem you cool is sort of like, you're like anointed by like, <laughs> you're you're like, <laughs> exactly. And so that's been awesome. And, and getting to know these people and really getting to be like, not only are they the authority sort of on us for cool, but we then get to be the, the stamp of approval for them to our girls to say, these aren't just, celebrity people. These aren't just someone you're obsessed with because you love their character on TV. These are humans who we know personally and who are the real deal. And if you follow or buy a ticket to, you know, watch a show, like these are the people you should be supporting and like trying to really bridge that yeah. connection. Yeah. And then other than that, like literally being where girls are. So cool brand partnerships and cool media partnerships and creating cool content and cool imagery and, and, all of that stuff plays into the the visual aesthetic of what a young person's like, you know, where their heads turn, what they're yeah. attracted to, and so, like anything, just drawing them in with with something that looks like something else that they would be drawn to, and not necessarily taking the like quote unquote non profit look and feel of things, um, and then I would say I would say to be honest, um, probably most of all, it's the authenticity. Mm. Alexis and I from day one and continued now eight years later walk into a room and stand up on a stage and speak truth and authenticity. And like the first thing out of our mouths is all of our own fears and our doubts and our insecurities. And I am Emily and uh, I want you to like me and I'm super nervous right now and I don't know why. And uh, you know, I, I hope you like, like my outfit cause I definitely spent time on like trying to be like equal parts cool and professional and, that right and like just opening with that and there's just like a wall that goes down instantly of like ah thank you you're not trying to be some person on the stage because by the way when you're the person on the stage there is a there is an assumption that you know more than they know and I always say like just because I'm standing here does not mean (laughs) anything about what I know versus what you know and I really actually need you to be in this with me and whether you're talking or not if you could just be like sending me love while i speak because sometimes i get tongue tied and like your you being there for me during this like vulnerable moment of speaking to you is going to make a difference of like in the words that actually come out of my mouth for you mm. so be with me here and i just like i it's just it's just a matter it's just about being real and i think this generation is so drawn to that and i think that's cool and then now that i'm like thinking about it uh we also invite guys into the conversation, which for me is, is not something we do to be cool. I'm like air quoting. I know this is a (laughs) podcast, but, but it actually is because there's a lot of organizations that are doing, trying to do what we're doing and not inviting guys into the conversation. And so for us, it was never really an option, but that is something that people are like, Oh my gosh, there's sort of like a talking point of like, and guys can come too. And so, um, so yeah, for all those reasons and many more, (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. And what do you think, um, inviting guys in the conversation has brought to the movement?
1: Well, I don't think it's possible to achieve our vision, our, our mission. If guys aren't involved, this isn't a, this isn't a women's movement. This isn't a girl's movement. It's a human movement. And we very much need guys be our heroes and to protect us and to remind us of our worth when we forget, which is very often and to speak up on our behalf when we're not in the room, um, which is when the probably the most, the most like hate on girls happens when it's a bunch of dudes talking about fill in the blank. She's such a slut or blah, blah, whatever it might be. So not only like reaching enough guys that that those conversations just stop happening or happen less, but also like helping guys understand girls' perspectives so that the guy that's in the room could be like, yeah, bro, but you don't know where she's coming from. And actually she's really cool. Like I talked to her the other day, you know, like giving people an out, giving people a way to shift out of that behavior, but without being the one that's like, hey guys, this is wrong. We don't gossip, you know? And so uh, you don't want to do that either. You don't want to commit social suicide. And so when a group of girls is gossiping, we tell girls to be like, just change the subject. Just be like, anyway, who knows what she was going through? Did you see that movie? Or uh, let's yeah. talk about this. You know, just like yeah. get out of it. And when some a girl apologizes for herself for no reason, the girl next to her is like, sorry, you're not sorry. And it's like a cool way to <laughs> hold each other accountable without having to like be teacher and like be weird and shame yeah. the other person and get awkward. Um And sorry. So I, I know I moved on to girls and we were talking about guys, but. Yeah, I think I think having guys as part of the conversation is is an absolute essential necessity to lifting girls up because Absolutely. guys have a ton of influence on girls, and I don't think they know it. Yeah. And when they, we tell them, guys are like they like get they stand tall and proud. And when when girls can let their guards down to ask for guys a guy's help, like be my hero, protect me in this way, yeah. Guys get really big and it's like this amazing way to like invite them into the conversation of like, okay, yeah, I'm totally in for that as opposed to castrating them. And like, you know, because think about being an entire gender who who also lives with like one guy rapes one girl and like all of manhood is like. like feels this guilt and feels that it's like anytime your people on someone on behalf of your people does something that you don't agree with. It's like, so, so to not say like, boys are stupid and guys are this and blah, blah, blah. It's just, it's just, we're just going backwards. It just doesn't make any sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, it's so true. And I mean, I think emotional health is so important, especially starting at a young, I mean, in everybody's age and everybody's life. But I think especially now what you guys are doing, kind of teaching that at a young age, because it, I think it will help develop better humans oh across the board.
1: I mean, why aren't they teaching this in school? Why? I mean, yeah. And that's why like, we're really trying to be present and at all of these schools, but we always talk about that. People are like, people who are really passionate about education like that's my cause we always say well we're emotional education like we're the thing that yes everyone deserves the right to an education and yes that's crazy important and your emotional intelligence your the 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 learning how to know who you are be who you are work through all of the emotions and not let them take you over is also what allows for a person to get an education mm-hmm. because there's crazy stats to talk about test taking and girls who are distracted and insecure while taking tests just do horribly, which of course their minds are filled with being distracted about their own insecurities and their own fears. And what did I say? And what did I do? And how do I look like? And I mean, it's just, it's consuming them and it's, it's giving them a lot of dis-ease. And in some, in in some cases, disease, you know, there's, there's a lot of that going on. So I totally agree. And, um, I can't think of, I can't think of anything more important to go alongside parallel to education than the emotional piece of it.
0: Absolutely. I don't know if you were at uh, Michael Trainer's thing with the Dalai Lama last year. No, I wasn't. Oh, uh, it was amazing. It was, it was so, it was, it was magical. It was, it was really thing. And the biggest thing that I took away from that, he was like, you know, somebody asked him what the world needs. And his answer was emotional hygiene. Mm -hmm. Like if everybody took care of themselves emotionally, the world would be a much better place.
1: Yeah. And And that's, and that's taking care of yourself. And when you're there, you know, helping taking care of the chick to your right and the guy to your left, you know, like, because I do think we're all mirrors, right? We're just like, we're all walking reminders of, of like our shortcomings or the things we're really proud of when we meet someone. And, um, as we all know, anyone who's been in the presence of someone they admire or look up to, if someone like shows up in a way that allows them to have, to know themselves, the person next to them is going to be like, I want to do that. And it's this really cool accountability that ends up happening when everybody opts in simultaneously yeah. to doing that work.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And actually what is the opt in, um, Cause I know you guys have a, an agreement on the site mm-hmm. and um, tell me a bit about what that is and how you guys came to came to it.
1: to the pledge she's yeah, referring the pledge. to. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, the pledge really encompasses so I would say there's three parts to to being that girl and what that encompasses. So it's my personal journey self. It's the way I exist, interact with, and lift up others in my community. And then it's then how that community can lift up the entire world. So Mm -hmm. it's the self journey, it's the community journey. And then it's the like, now what are we going to do about it? Sort of thing. Yeah. Um, that activist piece that then goes sort of like outwardly to like, this is our mission. Um, and one is always practice for the other. So how you treat others is practice for how you treat yourself and how you treat yourself Mm -hmm. is practice for how you treat others. And, um, All of that's happening simultaneously. And so the opt-in is basically I'm committed to being the best version of who I think I could be on any given day. Mm -hmm. I'm committed to um, having your back and giving you the benefit of the doubt and understanding that we're all perfectly flawed and constant works in progress. And I'm committed to leaving the world better than I found it. And when I found, like when I find something like I am that girl to rate, to extending my hand out and introducing it to the next girl. Mm. Um, And it's just that, it's just like, it's just a commitment to a better quality of life. It's just a commitment to showing up for yourself and for the people around you on a daily. It's a commitment to breaking down your own walls and understanding that none of us are alone and none of us, none of our problems are unique and that everyone's going through something and that hurt people hurt people. And just like a little more compassion and like, (laughs) it's like sort of seems so obvious. It's the, it's the way any, any sane human being would want to live. Mm -hmm. And instead we just act, act outside of our own best interest constantly. And so yeah, it's a commitment to, to being brave in, in your truth and your honesty. And it's a commitment to, um, to being like a an example for the next person, you know, and just being in it, whatever the, it is, it could be messy. It could be upside down, but it's just, it's just being in it. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. So how do you ha- keep, how do people keep each other accountable to the pledge?
1: Yeah. So um, we, we have these really sort of cool ways for them to hold each other accountable outwardly speaking. So, if you're a girl and, and you're in the I Am That Girl community and you say something negative about yourself out loud, the girl next to you is going to be like, don't talk about you that way. And so there's this very, like, practical daily lexicon that these girls um, talk about. Um, and the same, like I mentioned before, if someone says sorry, the girl's like, sorry, you're not sorry. I'll never forget. Um, we were at, uh, we did a retreat last year and Amanda Seyfried came, who's another amazing supporter. Oh, awesome. Uh, on our board and and of the organization and and she came and she spoke really openly about her OCD and whatever it was and she was like anyway sorry and she like conv- sort of like apologized for herself for no reason and three girls were like sorry you're not sorry and <laughs> it's the first time she was hearing it and she was like oh wow yeah uh yeah um yeah thank you yeah I'm not sorry you know and she's like sort of had this whole experience um which was cool it's cool And That's these so like girls cool. who. You know, again, she is supposed to be the one, quote, I'm air quoting again, who has all the advice and all like she's supposed to be the one that everyone's like, whatever you have to say is gold. And instead, it's this mutual relationship. Yeah. Um. And so, yeah, it's things like that. It's it's first of all, it's showing up and the girl next to you is looking to the way you're showing up and then sort of mimics you because we're a follow-the-leader society. So that's just what ends up happening and that's one accountability piece. And, and then it's these very practical, out loud types of ways that girls can hold each other accountable. And that's part of being in this organization, in this community. Like we don't, this isn't about just like some sort of fair weather. I'll be a good person if I want and I'll be a crappy person if I want. I mean, everyone's entitled to having any kind of emotion they want if they're in a in an angry mood or they need to be whatever they need to be that's totally fine but we're here to hold each other accountable we're here be, we're asking to be held accountable we're like i i'm opting into this lifestyle and i want you to not only show me how it's done but like hold me accountable when i'm being out of integrity or when i'm lying or when i'm selling myself short or when i'm in a relation you know whatever it might be when i'm in a relationship that's yeah. that's not serving me or I'm not asking for what I need at work or at school and and that's that's what it it means to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. Amazing.
0: Amazing. So how do you recruit your leaders and and for the chapters and and rally everyone around that?
1: Um so it comes all different kinds of ways. Uh usually through social, social media. Mm-hmm. Um I think what ends up happening is our our digital platforms end up being these quotes or these um, conversations or whatever they are that, um, is sort of naturally, um, inclines girls to tag each other because it's just, it's like love bombs every day. Yeah. Um, so that, <laughs> so that's one way. Um, and then again, this, the celebrities, the influencers are a huge, huge, awesome help and support for that. The partnerships, we always try to be everywhere girls already are. So like, what's the sneaker brand we can partner with and what's the backpack brand we can part, you know, like what, how can we get, how can we be like a a visual touchstone in her entire day when she puts on her a shirt or a shoe or a backpack? Like, can there just be an I am that girl reminder on these brands she's already purchasing that remind her throughout the day of, of how to do it. And so, and that, that's, that sort of stuff helps really. We try to make cool content that would go viral whether or not it's from us, you know, stuff that would just fit in the main that people want to share and, and hear. Um, and we're doing a big event in October, um, which I think might be I'm putting a lot of eggs in this basket, but I think might be one of the most like successful, like, ways to spread our actual message and get more girls to be involved because it's really, it's for the, the girls invited are the girls within this community, this local chapter community specifically. Um, and so what we hope is that and we're streaming it online. And so what we hope is that millions of girls see this and want to be a part of it. And it's going to be sort of our first public stage to share who we are with the world um, and what we stand for and why we're gathering and what we're up to and where we've been and where we're going and all of that stuff. And so the idea is that we're calling it the world's most inspiring celebration of girls. And the idea is that girls want to join because you know, why would, why would they not want to be there? Like, what is this thing? How do I get there? What do I need to do? What is this cool community? And, and I'm hopeful things like that become like the biggest ways in which we reach girls to raise and, and and get them to raise their hands to say, I want to do this. I want to start a chapter.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. And it's high school and college, right?
1: Yeah. High school and college.
0: Cool. So awesome. It's really fun. So how do you think branding and go back a little bit, but how do you think branding has actually helped the organization?
1: Well, it's funded us. (laughs) I could say that. (laughs) Really? How so? I would honestly say about 80% of our funding comes from brands and brand partnerships. Mm. Um, And we realized, so that's huge. And, and also, in the process of learning and growing and diversifying that funding, um, because the last thing we want is to be dependent on brands for funding, because we wanna really be able to do really cool partnerships that are really authentic and feel really good. And we wanna also get to be picky and do the things that feel really awesome. And so, so early on we figured, okay, Girls is who we're looking to reach. Brands reach a massive amount of girls, and we reach a massive amount of girls. And what they bring and what we bring are two very different things. And so it seems like a really good place for collaboration. We both bring these these things to the table that the other needs and doesn't have. The other thing is that part of the problem, part of girls getting 3,000 messages a day telling them what they're not and us trying to combat that with messages celebrating who they are, is that brands don't see fully... Or they're ha- they they they're starting to see, but we want to sort of convince brands through these partnerships we're doing. We want to be this public example, case study of what can happen when a brand invests in an organization like ours in a way that helped like this brand, anyone we partner with, we want them to do well as a company. We want them to make all their money and do all the things that makes brands successful because we want other brands to see what's possible when you invest in this piece of it. When you when you actually do care, when you do spend your dollars and resources, um, in a donation that actually may or may not be seen in your double bottom in your bottom line. Um, and, and that's one of our big tasks is to do, do brand partnerships in a way that, um, really highlights for others what's possible to inspire all of these brands to shift their ideas about how to advertise to girls. I mean, wow. Again, small dreams,
0: <laughs>
1: but I do think it's possible. I do think we live in a world where, um, brands can be successful and they don't have to do it at the detriment to a girl's self-worth. Yeah, um, so we're trying to be examples of that in a lot of ways. And then sheer numbers. I mean, think about like a shoe, a shoe brand, any, any one of the major shoe brands, um, talking about, I am that girl or like selling the, I am that girl shoe. Yeah. It's a cool message for them. And like I said, it's, it's a daily touch point for a girl. And they have millions and billions and quadrillions of people that they're reaching that we haven't reached yet. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's a big, that's
0: a big thing for us too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And how does visual branding uh, how's that played into the growth of the brand as well?
1: Um. Yeah. So it's funny you say that we're actually about to roll out new branding October 1st. And um, that came from, well, it started because our girls were like, why is I am that girl pink? Just cause I'm a girl doesn't mean I like pink. And some of them like really do, but they just don't want that to be pegged on them. <laughs> like they just don't want that to be assumed. If I want to like pink, I want to like pink on my own terms. Not because <laughs> you told me to like pink. Um, and this, this organization is truly run, run by them and for them. So what they tell us we do. And uh, so we're about to, we're about to, we've shifted our color over to this really cool coral color. That's nice and ambiguous for everybody to fit inside and that has turned into this amazing exploration of what our brand is going to look like. And yeah. it's it's really the next evolution from a branding perspective and a visual perspective of I Am That Girl um, that we think will really elevate who we are and what we look like. You know, everything's first impressions. That's how that's yeah. how we work. So when you look at a brand, you're going to make a decision pretty quickly to click the next thing or mm-hmm. to, you know, to, to like share it or whatever it might be. Um, and so, yeah, it goes back to the cool factor. You have to look cool. You have to look like a brand that people want to be drawn to. And then of course there's like the psychological pieces of what draws someone into something. And we wanted to feel, we want our brand to feel like all of the things I've mentioned. So we want you to feel like you belong there. We want you to feel like it's welcoming. We want you to feel like, you know, like, so it's, it's actually, it's challenging conversation as you can imagine making a color have all (laughs) putting all that weight on a single color.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. But that
1: is, that's, you know, we want it to be an extension of what I would come in and say to a group of girls if I was there. And so, um, yeah, I just think, I just think branding plays a role in everything.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, it's good to hear you say that because we talk a lot about that on the podcast of, I have a background in branding Mm -hmm. and I realize how important it is and it's cool to see how branding has built the organization.
1: I honestly, in those fake it till you make it days, it really, I mean, I can't take any credit for the name. I am that girl, but the fact that like I am that girl is such a cool name. Um, and which also has something to do with it. Like branding starts with the name and, and in those moments where we were like really super teeny tiny, our branding is what made us like get in the door. It's, it's the thing that was like, oh, this is cool. This They must be like really successful if it looks like this, which is just crazy the assumptions <laughs> made about you just yeah. by the way that you look. Crazy, right? It's also an interesting metaphor. <laughs>
0: <laughs> true, very true, very true. And it's funny that you're shifting the color because we were just talking about androgyny and how that's kind of like our culture is really shifting in that direction.
1: Yeah, I mean- Girls don't want to be put in a box. There's like, there's not enough, there's not enough labels or boxes that we've previously created that a girl today fits in. And it's a really cool time because it's, these spectrums are expanding and these walls are being broken down and, um, we're allowing for people to, to be all of it, which by the way, we've always been. So like all of us have masculine and feminine inside of us, all of us are pink and blue to some degree. Yeah. To the degree that you are is up to you, but um, but we've it's we've been lying before now to say that we've just been one way, mm-hmm. and so what's cool is that our outward facing culture and society is giving room and space for people to fully express mm-hmm. themselves, whereas yeah. before they could only express a piece of themselves and shame the rest, yeah. um and or hide the rest, and so as you know we still have plenty of work to do, but as we grow and as as ambiguity becomes more accepted then the person who's just pink could just own that fully as a choice. Mm -hmm. And it, it then becomes unique in that person's, you know, instead of like, Oh, shocker, another girl who likes pink. It's like, it can become, it can become a choice rather than a given. And I think that gives space honestly for, for also for guys, which I think I, I would say guys struggle just as much as girls with that. And, and we've really set guys up to fail when it comes to emotional intelligence and Mm -hmm. the abilities to express emotion and their abilities to like the color pink. I mean, you know, and I know I'm using these like very surface metaphor in this pink and blue, but it's very true. I mean, it's, it's really, really true. (laughs) Yeah, Guy in a pink shirt. I mean, even now we'll walk into a place and get like, Oh wow, you really pull off pink. Even if Even if it's a good compliment, it's still (laughs) pointing it out, Um, and so and so. Yeah, that's just where we are, and I'm really excited that we're there.
0: Absolutely, how exciting! Yeah, how exciting! What's what's the grand vision? What do you what do you see? What do you want from to do with I am that girl?
1: I want a local chapter in every single school, every single high school and college in the country um we're actually in 20 countries right now we're 90% in the US but um we didn't mean to be we like meant to start here and then grow and because of the beauty of the internet just chapters started launching everywhere but i want i want a chapter in every single city every single school high school and college in the US um and i want a chapter in every single community around the world you know that first off can can speak English because we don't have it all translated yet. Um, and then beyond that, you know, to keep growing it and growing it and growing it. Yeah. That's really like, it really just boils down to wanting as many local chapters as humanly possible so that this is available to anyone and everyone.
0: Absolutely. Awesome. I love that. Well, let's jump into your journey a little bit. Okay. Yeah. So what has Emily learned over the years, since you started I'm That Girl, what's, I mean, I pro- I'm I'm sure you probably learned an exorbitant <laughs> amount, but why don't we say like top five,
1: top five? Yeah, I was going to say, we're going to need like another, <laughs> we're going to need a cocktail and like another couple hours for that. Um. Yeah. Uh, okay. I will tell you the top one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We teach what we need to learn most mm-hmm. and vulnerability is the thing that, has always been the hardest for me mm. and um and 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 provides the most instant growth when I'm able to do it so I was always a space for everyone else to be vulnerable around me um and I was literally I was always the one I grew up with like a pretty awesome childhood with great parents and like friends and thank god nothing hugely traumatic happened and yeah. And I think because of that, I told myself that I wasn't allowed to be upset or have any of like any of these like sad feelings because everyone else seemed to have it so much worse or have something really best. I like had this weird guilt thing of like, you were fine. You were gifted this great life. Your job Mm. is to just be there for everyone who was had a shittier deal than you. And so that's what I did. I don't know where I got that from, (laughs) but that's what I did. And that's what it started with. I am that girl was like, oh, cool, this is great. I could do that on like the biggest scale ever yeah. and just be there for all of these girls and a space for all of these girls. And I was really good at that. Um, and of course I got validated for being such a good friend and um, ran with that title forever yeah. to the detriment of my own feelings, my own being who I was, who I am. So the biggest thing I learned was that I have feelings and emotions as much as everybody else. Um I deserve to feel whatever I feel regardless of my story. And um and and creating a space for other people in a lot of ways has been a distraction um and an excuse for me to not look at what's going on inside of me and so I've grown up with this organization alongside these girls. When I look at them and they look back at me and they're like they're like little truth eyeballs just glare me in the eyes. <laughs> I'm like oh god. <laughs> they're like what about you? And I'm like, uh, oh, mom. <laughs> <laughs> mom, where are you? The truth. I um, also love that. Yeah. And and so they've challenged me to, mm. to practice what I preach and feeling like a fraud and all of the business things that I've learned of just like, I never worked for i co- I've never like had a real, my only job was cocktail waitressing because <laughs> I was an actor. So, you know, starting a company, there's tons of lessons in that. But, yeah, the number one thing is just that I'm not doing this because i'm I'm some hero. I'm doing this because I need it just the same as every other girl, and that becomes more and more true and more and more clear every yeah.
0: year That's, yeah, totally. I totally get it i mean i'm I come from the similar backgrounds like really great upbringing. I feel you know there's so many things that I just I don't have like these deep, dark, crazy things that have happened to me, but so I do struggle with vulnerability myself, mm-hmm. you know how. I, I did grow up with a space of having to like almost be perfect in a certain sense. Cause I grew up in a conservative religious home. Yeah. So there's a lot of pressure in that, in that sense, but I'm only now learning about that this, this later, you know, later in life and that's all emotional intelligence stuff.
1: Yeah. Know? I mean, it's hard to be vulnerable when, when vulnerability is perceived as weakness, when you think you're supposed to be perfect. I mean, there's no space for, anything when, when perfection is the call. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just a, not realistic or attainable and B there's no, it's boring. There's like no, there's no depth. There's no darkness. There's no confusion. There's no, I mean, Mm -hmm. and if there is, it's going on privately and shamefully and, and feeling like you're alone in it. And so, yeah, I, I, unfortunately like a lot of these leaders, a lot of the girls we speak to, they're these like leader types who are just like, straight and all these clubs and blah, 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 which is cool and great. And honestly, they're, they're mind blowing. They're like, they're just like yeah. so impressed. Like, <laughs> will you be my boss? But they just don't give themselves space for any of the flaws, any of the like, mm, I don't know. I mean, the, the most powerful thing I can do as a leader of this organization to my team is say, I don't know, or I'm struggling right now with like, even knowing how to lead all of you, because I feel like, mm. I feel like I'm doing a horrible job or whatever it might be God, the craziest thing about it is that you've actually become more powerful of a leader in saying yeah. that because all of a sudden people are like what that was so honest that was so cool I like you even more i like want to follow you even more I want to double down on this work even more there's just there's such power in that level of vulnerability and we're just so afraid of it
0: yeah yeah I'm 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 afraid of it
1: yeah <laughs> by the way like Every relationship, I mean, romantic relationship, obviously friendships too, but I feel like the 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 depth of a romantic relationship is equivalent to the, the your willingness to um, go to the depth of your vulnerability. Yeah. I mean, every time, every 100% of the time I've gone there and have just said the thing that I'm like embarrassed to say or that I'm just like trying not to say,
0: yeah.
1: I get so much closer with the people I'm around. It's yeah. just like a guaranteed every time. Wow. And in the process, like the scary thing isn't actually that scary to say out loud because the thing that you're saying is the same thing that everybody else has felt or thought before. And that's yeah. another thing. Like the if I were to say to you right now, like tell me the, like the thing that you don't want to say, but that's there. And it's just like the thing you've never said. And you don't want to say in your head, you'd probably, you might even like black it out and not even be able to think of it, <laughs> but you'd, Um, You'd be terrified to say it and it would take like all of these nerves to get it out of your mouth. And the moment it came out of your mouth, I'd probably hear and be like, oh, really? Okay. Well, me too, first of all, and you and everybody else in the world. And so it's that, it's that bravery of like Mm -hmm. just saying it. Um, But I've, I've seen it enough times at this point, thousands and thousands and thousands of girls that we've spoken to and been in front of to know that it really, the hard part is just saying it and the rest is honestly pretty easy because the reaction is always me too. The reaction is always, wow, thank you for sharing that. That was awesome. I mean, there's like yeah. a respect mm-hmm. to that level of truth.
0: Wow. Absolutely. Absolutely. So aside from vulnerability, what have you learned about leadership?
1: Um, What have I learned about leadership? Uh, that, that um, it's a, It's a really nuanced balance of being able to make a decision, being able to, um, to sort of like have your shit together to a certain degree, to um, have people feel confident in your decisions and your decision making and that you know what you're doing along with being a human and being emotional. I think finding that balance is a really hard thing to do, something I'm actually just just recently really like learning. Mm. And I also think it's, it allows for your people to feel really heard. And and that's another thing, listening, being a leader and just listening to what they're saying and asking for constructive feedback um, is really important. Listening to the things that they're not necessarily meaning to tell you, but they're telling you either non-verbally or just repeating over and over. I think being a leader is, is being an expert in like communication skills and in like almost in psychology. It's you're almost just like, if you can stop and just witness the people around you and learn what motivates them and learn what deflates them and disempowers them, and then take a little bit of extra time to, to service that, to, to be in service of that. Um, I think that's really crazy powerful and, Everyone's unique. Some people like really can't, it's like everyone has a unique way of learning. Everyone has a unique way of of working. And so learning how people work best and then giving space and freedom for that, if it's being home um, for the first three hours of the day and then coming in, you know, like a give and take, it's all a negotiation. It's all a, it's like a relationship, you know, it's all a compromise of like what works for you best, what works for me best and what ultimately does the organization or whatever it is you're leading need the most and let's meet somewhere in between. Yeah. I think there's always a win-win. I think I think there's always an opportunity for a win-win. And I also think as a leader sometimes when everyone has different opinions about things, you you do have to be the the person who comes in and says this is the this is the decision we're making and this is how we're moving forward and I just want to ask that you trust me and that you follow me in that and that you just join me in this decision. And if you've done it right, everything you've done leading up to that moment when you have to do that, um, you know, has them trust you, has them opt in even when they don't agree, even when they don't want to, they're just like, you know what? Yes, I'm in with you because of hopefully how you've treated them, you know? And I, I also really believe that like the hierarchy of stuff doesn't, it can be there in job titles and in function. It really, really doesn't have a place in, um, leading a group of people. It just doesn't. I mean, yeah. if, if you're a leader and you think that you can be a leader without the people who are quote unquote following you, mm-hmm. you're a crazy person because then you're just like alone. You're just like anybody <laughs> anybody. <laughs> um and and so like really valuing the people that are around you and knowing that they their existence there, their presence there um makes up the fabric of whatever it is you're leading. And so to honor that and respect that, I think it's just You know, respect.
0: I love that. Yeah, I love that. And I'm, I like how you talk about decision making. Um, You know, I think that's a huge thing in business. And Mm -hmm. you know, what's I guess what's your philosophy on decision making, and how you know, you make faster decisions because whether you make the right one or the wrong one, you're still moving forward. I think there's a lot, lot behind that. What's your, what are your thoughts on that?
1: I think that. I think that natural born leaders are people who can make decisions quickly Mm -hmm. for a couple of reasons. A, they think that it's the right decision every time. And if it's not, they're okay with it not being Mm -hmm. or, or B, they just, they just prefer to operate on like a decisions first, you know, (laughs) outcome later sort of, I would say that, I would say that in my, as I'm maturing professionally, the uh, my nature to make quick decisions can sometimes come from an impatience and a laziness um hiring people oh god the the process is crazy and you have to make do so many interviews and when you think you found someone who's really good like do you still do the other three interviews of the resumes that just came in and i surround myself with people luckily who balance out my desire to just be like, no, let's just go with the one that's good because there might be someone better. Um, and, and these people around me are like, why don't we just do some due diligence? You know, the word due diligence (laughs) is good for me to hear. (laughs) And that's a huge key to being a leader, surrounding yourself with people who, um, who balance you out, whatever your strong suits are, but yeah, decision-making that's confidence. I mean, if you're wishy-washy, you don't know what to do or how to do, or, and you just will sit on it you're, it's probably, it's not a strong, you're probably not going to be a super strong leader. I mean, it's just straight up, unless you have a system of someone who makes the decisions for you, which (laughs) is totally, but you have to make the decision to find someone who makes your decisions for you. Um, but I think it's a huge, huge, at the end of the day, someone has to make a call and I think you have to just be willing to fail. I think you have to be willing to make the wrong decision. Um, and that is really hard for perfectionists. Um, Yeah. It's a really, yeah, Yeah. it's a really hard, it's a hard one um, because you see um, making the wrong decision as like you failing as a human being. And I would say that I see um, a decision that didn't go the right way. Just like good to know that doesn't work and sort of a a pivot Um, because otherwise that, that, that part of leadership can just like hurt your soul and hurt your heart and slow you down instead of, and you know with the kind of work this is when you're building like this, unless you're walking into just like a super padded situation (laughs) where you're just good to go money wise and you don't need the hustle decisions. You just, and then it's all gut, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, what do they say? When planning meets, um, preparation meets, um, something. I used to say that with acting when like preparation meets spontaneity or in the moment, something, anyway, when the two combine, when like, Knowing I am that girl well enough to know most of the time what the right decision is combined with, and like learning what I've learned about business combined with my gut feeling about stuff is like the perfect place to make a decision from. And I make the wrong ones plenty, but that's okay. It's like the forgiveness of that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's so cool. Yeah. I love You know, I I think that's so important, you know, decision-making in, in a business and getting better at that. And I think it's something that people can get better with.
1: Yeah. I mean, I literally just think make a decision. Like the decision-making ability is something you can learn. I think that's sort of the easy part. I think the harder part for most people is just to make the decision and to be okay with the outcome. And by the way, if you were making like multiple wrong decisions in a row, I think you have to check yourself and like, where are you making these decisions from? Are they from an informed place? Are they from an egoic place? Are they from a, just a super reaction place? Um, because part of being a good business person is the idea is like you're batting, you know, I don't even like trying to do a sports reference, but I don't even know the (laughs) end of that, that reference you're batting, whatever the batting good is, um, that, that when you make one decision and it's the right decision, there's like nothing better um, from a confidence boosting perspective. Like I know how to make decisions and then you make another one and that was the right one and you make another one and that was the right one. And then when you get thrown in the one that like, wasn't you know wrong decision, you have all of this like backbone to support you of, well, I've made a bunch of the right decisions. But I also think, listen, like this, it wasn't like my, I'm going to start a company and I'm going to run a thing and I'm going to be the leader of this thing. I mean, that wasn't necessarily the goal. It happened that way. And you grow with it. And, um, when I learned I was a good decision, I mean, I was pursuing acting. I didn't think that I was like a, I didn't think I was a business person, but learning that I was good at it and learning that I could make decisions. Well, gave me more confidence to like go be a even bigger and better leader. And so it sort of comes hand in hand.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So what have you learned about yourself in the emo- in the emotional intelligence space?
1: Oh boy. I mean, everything, my twenties <laughs> were, we started, we launched when we were 24 and I'm 32. And I think that so far in my in my 32 years, my twenties were the most intense transformative growth that I've had. It was like the most intense decade of growth of my life. And from what I hear from my older friends, like it that's pretty much rings true. So I literally learned everything about myself emotionally that I know today. And I would say that like, I would say if I were to boil it down, it was how to feel my feelings because Mm. I didn't know, I grew up with this, like, I wasn't the prettiest. I wasn't the skinniest. I wasn't the smartest, but I was, I was this person who was funny and who was confident and who was like, like I said, the shoulder for everyone else to lean on, cry on, or just lean on. What are we doing for Friday night? There's another, I would make the decision and everyone would be like, yay, Emily's let's go to Emily's or let's do this. Cause I would just make the decision. Um, and I told myself at, at that age that if I was confident, then I wasn't scared. And if I was confident, then I, I couldn't be sad. And if I was, you know, and, the, and by the way, if I were to come to school in a bad mood, everyone around me would be like, what's wrong, Emily, what's wrong? What's wrong? You're not, this like bright light. That's lifting everybody up. What's wrong. And all I heard was that maybe there was something wrong. Right. And so I stopped doing that. And when, you know, in starting this um, on the road, that first three years, hearing all these stories, 100,000 girls in three years, they would just wait online and share their stories and we would just listen. And Alexis really taught me like, because she was always so self-inquisitive. I really want to work on this about myself. And I really don't like that I do this. And I really blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, how do you know? how do you know all these things about what you like and don't like about yourself? And it was me trying to access these other feelings. And it started with Alexis and I in like a hotel room, um, at a speaking engagement. And she just started drilling me with all of these questions. And, um, and I just felt this unsettled feeling in my stomach. And I was just like, she was like, what is, what are you? So what's wrong? I was like, I feel like there's this box with all of my real feelings in them I could only feel the happy ones, but like, there's other, there's other ones that are hidden in a box. And she's like, so there's a box inside of her body. I'm like, obviously not, but like, it's this blah, blah, blah. And she's like doing this, like neurolinguistic programming thing she learned. And, um, I was like, because, and they will know what will they know that I'm not happy. And I was like, as I said, I'm not happy. I like slap, like slapped my ma- my f- hand in front of my mouth and started hysterical crying and she was like, "Well, that there's there's the thing. Oh, wow. <laughs> this NLP stuff works." And that was the first lit, like moment of my life that I had ever even let myself consider the idea that I wasn't happy in that moment because that was my whole identity. And from there my identity deconstructed and I did Tony Robbins and I did Landmark and I started <laughs> going to therapy and like everything you could imagine. Um, to find the root of that. I stopped dating. I stopped having sex for like three years, four years. I just like, just stopped everything and started doing all of these things differently and really, really searching and seeking. And I went, my, I call my therapist who I still go to my heart doctor because she taught me how to feel my feelings. And when I was in therapy, she'd be like, how do you feel right now? And I wouldn't know the name of the emotions. I would just, I would like be like, um, it's tingly, and it feels like there's like a bruise, but on my inside, I like didn't know how to say the feelings. And I still, it's still honestly something I, I struggle with sometimes, but that's, that's emotionally what I've learned how to do is like feel my feelings and identify them and allow them to be felt and articulate them and, and to be alone. I think also emotionally, I just learned how to be alone, which was a big thing because I was always around people because that's how I got all my validation because when I was with people, I was this person that was like everyone needed. So yeah. I was like, Oh, cool. As long as I'm around you, I know I'm needed, but when you go away Yeah do I do I know that anyone need, I mean, do I you know, do I love me when you're not there to say that you love me, sort of thing? So yeah, I mean it's an ocean of of emotion (laughs) and things that I've learned since, since starting this.
0: Oh, absolutely. I love that. I love that. I mean, I think I struggle with that as well. It's just like (laughs) feeling my feelings. I'm like, well, can I call your therapist? (laughs) 100%. She's like the world's most called therapist.
1: I swear I've sent like 35 people to her. That's
0: so funny. Yeah. Awesome. 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 Well, this has been beautiful. One last question Mm -hmm. that I love to ask all my guests is what does the phrase live inspiration mean to you? (sighs) Ah,
1: Live inspiration means to me, I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is to live with a curious mind and a curious eye and a curious heart, Mm. because I don't think you could find inspiration without, without, being curious and keeping your eyes open and your mind open and your heart open to some degree. Uh, and inspiration sort of is something that something that comes, comes through you. It's something that you receive. It's not something that, um, that is, that is, that I feel like it's less something you give than it is something you receive. And so live inspiration, I guess would just mean to, to live, Open and and to be curious and to be a, a vessel for whatever it is, whether it be emotion or creativity or anything, to sort
0: of like move through you. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I love that. Well, Emily, I acknowledge you for being the difference in the world. I love what you're doing for the world. I love what you're doing for these girls and everybody around you. You're a light. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. And um, where can people find you on the interwebs and also get involved with I Am That Girl?
1: You can go to IamThatGirl.com. You could follow at i am that girl and all the things, and I am that girl greener on Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat and you know all the places.
0: Fantastic. Well, I look forward to. I'm excited to. Uh, help you out and do anything I can. Thank you.
1: Thank you. You're the best. I'm going (laughs) to totally take you up on that. (laughs)
0: All right. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode of Shop Talk Radio with Emily Greener. I'm your host, Nick Onkin. And don't forget, we are taking things to the next level here pretty soon and changing the name here at episode 100 to Neon Radio. So if you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love it if you could help us out by leaving us a good review over on iTunes, sharing this episode over on Facebook and getting Emily's message out there. I think it's an important one and want to share that with the world. So with that, go out, create your life by creating every small moment and we'll see you next time.